Hello, and welcome to the Talent Empowerment Podcast, where we lift up people leaders so they can lift up their organizations. I'm your host, Tom Finn, co-founder and CEO of LegUp. Together, we'll learn how to drive people innovation, how to transform HR into people ops, and how to secure buy-in to disrupt the status quo. And as I like to say, it's finally time to stop smoking on airplanes and update your people strategy. Let's transform your organization and move from a culture of talent management to talent empowerment. This week's episode of the Talent Empowerment Podcast is brought to you by LegUp's Talent Insurance, an inclusive people development platform designed to help HR leaders empower their people through one-on-one professional coaching. With results like a 66% improvement in avoiding burnout, a 54% jump in leadership skills, and a 73% increase in job satisfaction, LegUp guarantees improved employee well-being, productivity, and retention. In fact, they ensure it. Your people stay or they pay. Visit LegUp, that's L-E-G-G-U-P dot com to learn more. And without further ado, this is Talent Empowerment. Welcome to the Talent Empowerment Podcast, where we lift up people leaders so you can lift up your organizations. I am your host, Tom Finn, and today we have a people leader who is a UCLA Bruin alum, a former rugby player, and was part of the gospel choir. His name is Maurice Bell. Maurice, welcome to the show. Tom, thank you for having me. Uh, Really excited to be here. We are excited to have you. And if you don't know Maurice, let me introduce you to him. He is a passionate people first leader who firmly believes that human potential is limitless given the right conditions. He's currently serving as the head of people operations for a leading people success platform, Lattice. If you haven't checked them out, I would highly recommend it. And Maurice has built his professional life around developing and driving people strategies so organizations can truly tap in to the highest levels of employee engagement, retention, and performance. Now, prior to joining Lattice, Maurice led numerous HR and people teams behind well-known companies such as Facebook, Union Bank, and Electronic Arts. We are so happy to have you. How did you find yourself in the world of people and HR? Tom, great, great kickoff question, uh, because I think, I'd like to think that um, I found myself in HR because it's where I was meant to be. Uh, although if you would have asked me along that journey, uh, I would have probably told you, I don't know where I'm going <laughs> with this. Um, I say that because, uh, what, you know, hindsight's 2020. Um, I've always been passionate about um, people empowerment, right? And I think it's uh, and, and bringing the best out of people. Um, and uh, it's really steeped in to me from a cultural standpoint in terms of like my Samoan heritage and uh, and supporting the village, um, you know, as well as just coming through and engaging in environments and experiences in my life where they were, there's always consistent need and feeling compelled to show up for that need and, and support people. So, you know, can I say that I was like, HR was going to be my career, lifelong career goal. Of course not. I think that's probably not the case for most people. Um, did I? I actually didn't even know HR was a thing until uh, my first like real job out of college, uh, where I was uh, an inspector for PG&E, uh, which is the local um, utility up here. Um, and you know, life started at the time. I was thinking about going to law school, and uh, then had a baby on the way, started thinking, okay, well, maybe law school's not in the cards for me. 
what other opportunities might be here at this company? Mind you, PG&E's 100 plus year old company uh, at the time was about 20,000 employees, big, you know, um, solidified organization. Um, and you would imagine too, probably pretty solidified HR <laughs> department as well. Um, and so, yeah, you know, one day I kind of said, what's, what's going on over here? All right, let's see what this company's got, what other opportunities are there? And I uh, happened to fire up my email, which wasn't a, given I was an inspector and out and about, not something that I, I did daily, but popped open the email and I happened to see an email uh, that was about volunteering as a part of a task team to address uh, some of the data results from an employee engagement survey. Um, never heard of employee engagement. Quite frankly, never really had heard of heard of HR, but I didn't really know what it was. Um, but it sounded cool. It was about improving communication. And I said, oh, well, that sounds fun and interesting. Uh, let me jump in. And that was really the start of my journey is uh, participated in that task team, uh, kind of moved and mobilized into like a leadership role for that work and driving the action plan for that organization, which became a rotation opportunity for me, um, to then a formal position as a employee engagement specialist, to a change management lead, uh, to kind of towards the end of that, that career um, at PG&E, I was leading the employee engagement survey itself uh, for the company. Um, so that was kind of my, my first leg into the world of HR and people. Um, but I think I was drawn to that work from a lot of the things that I've done before around, like I mentioned, community development. You know, I, I ran a nonprofit in college supporting uh, at-risk youth in the broader LA area um, with kind of peer counseling and tutoring. And so just this work of like building people up and, and trying to maximize uh, their potential is, is always been a thing for me. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And let's go back in time before we sort of go through the career work. Let's go back in time and talk about sort of the Simone culture and the way you were raised and, and, and talk about the community and that culture a little bit to help educate us. Yeah, so uh, Samoa is uh, a couple islands, technically I think three or four islands, uh, out in the middle of the Pacific, closer to like New Zealand and Australia. Uh, so I'm a Pacific Islander. My mom was born and raised in Samoa, moved moved to San Francisco with uh, her eight other brothers and sisters uh, when uh, she was 13. Uh, so that's one thing you should know about Samoans, big families, uh, and family is really important. Um, and, uh, yeah, she kind of, that was, she was, she was the person for me and my family that really, she was the second oldest, but she, uh, laid the foundation, uh, for my, my family, my broader family here, taking care of her brothers and sisters, um, in San Francisco. Um, and so, uh, grew up with a lot of family, uh, understood the principles and it's really steeped in Samoan culture. We, we've got, um. We got a uh, kind of a a cultural tenet that's called Fasamoa, um, which is like basically translates as the Samoan way. Uh, and uh, there's a lot to unpack in that philosophy, but one of the most important pieces is uh, you are a representation of your your family, which is literally within your your name, um, and you are an embodiment of how your your family is understood, who they are what they represent, 
Um, and there's a lot of pride, respect, and honor that is associated with how you show up and what you do in your, in your, in your spaces in the world as a reflection of, of your family. Um, and so that's big to me. Family's huge. Um, taking care of each other is huge. Um, making sure that you know, we're, we're, we're all winning together and, and, and growing and succeeding together is a big part of kind of just what moves me. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. And, and Samoan culture is so rich and steeped in history and family, as you mentioned. Um, and, and it's interesting because there's so many ties that organizations are trying to pull off, right? They're trying to have people come from a, pra- a place of love and respect and duty to the company and focus on the core values of an organization as well. And I would imagine that taking, gosh, some of this sort of work that's been done by, by your mom and by your entire family you've got to bring that to work every day don't you yeah yeah I, I i think so and as i've gotten um further in my career and more grounded in my identity as a professional uh, i think i've i've gotten to a place to where i'm embracing that a little bit more um you know i think the reality of it is particularly i think you know people of color uh tend to find themselves in their career journey where they are trying to navigate uh, an environment and an expectation that might be different than their their kind of natural lived experience within the spaces that they, they live in the community they work, right? Code switching is a thing, right? And uh, putting pressure on how you think you're supposed to show up in certain environments, um, how you need to talk, how you need to dress, um, what values that you need to um, present um, it's, it's always been a thing for me to navigate. And, and I bring that up specifically because I think one of the things that's a challenge uh, with, particularly me, I can speak from my experience as I'm half black, half Samoan. I know on the Samoan side, uh, when you're growing up, especially as a kid, there's deep reverence uh, for elders. And, um, and in the Fasamoa, that respect is presented in a way where you, you're not really supposed to be, you shouldn't have an outsized presence in, in, the, in the village, in, in the community, right? You're supposed to know your place, you kind of sit on the sidelines, you observe, you learn, you help and support. Um, but humbleness is a big part of that experience and you start with humbling yourselves uh, to your elders, um, to your parents, now, I bring that up because I think in the work environment, especially in like American culture, um, that can be tricky because so much of it is merit-based and so much of it is about making sure that your contributions and your efforts and your impact are seen and owned, right? And you have to be really comfortable with um, uh, self-advocacy and... Um, and uh, building a self-reputation and that just is not it's, that's a little bit of a foreign approach to at least within the Samoan culture right you're not supposed to do that it's all about the family right and so yeah. a lot of times when I was growing in my career you know I, I would shy away from the attention and the recognition and I put the recognition on my team or put the recognition on my department or the people that I worked with um, you know, and the reality of it is, in some ways, you know, if the culture was right for that organization, that served me well because they, the recognition was still still there. But if it wasn't the right culture, then I, I missed that opportunity to be seen. Um, 
but as I've grown in my career, uh, like what I do appreciate is now that I'm in a leadership capacity, all those values do, I mean, you are literally in a position now to take care of your community, right? And represent your community. Uh, think about the best interests of the organization over your own. Um, you know, be a servant leader in, in ways that are going to help mobilize the organization and, and create that engagement. And so it serves me well now, but the journey to get here, um, you know, it, it had its own challenges. Yeah, of course. And we all have our own challenges from our upbringing that we bring to work, that we have to work through. And, and you're right to point out that not every company is the same. And the cultural norms within a company sometimes dictate our behavior to some varied degree or level. And so it takes a lot of intestinal fortitude on your part um, and, and on all of us to come to work and kind of work through this. And it takes a course of years. It doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight, right? I mean, we want it to. We're in our 20s or our early 30s and we're thinking, I'm almost there. I'm almost comfortable in my own skin, right? And then all of a sudden you wake up and you go, actually, I'm doing okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and a lot of that, I think, is just paying, a, like being present in your journey, right? Like, I think there's a old school approach of, hey, if I just show up to work every day, if I do what I'm supposed to do, that, you know, I'm going to make it, I'm, I'm going to grow and, and these things are just going to happen. Um, and that discipline and commitment and consistency is important, but you also have to just be present and you have to be paying attention to what's happening around you, what 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 seems to be mobilizing your career and what's not, and just be conscious about how you're engaged. Don't just assume that um, the the blueprint is already made. Like you have to design your your career and your growth and be uh, an active participant in it. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And let's talk a little bit about your career and your growth. Um, so we know that you were working for uh, PG&E. Uh, we know that you got kind of through the, through the door of HR, through employee engagement, and that that was your entrance and your entree into this new world of people, which really, I mean, quite frankly, it fits your personality and the way you carry yourself and your family structure and your belief system. And that is the most beautiful way to align a career is that you align it with, with who you are, you know, deep in your soul. Um, but help us understand this. You've made some moves, some pretty strategic moves along the way. So walk us through the moves and, and did you do it on purpose or was this accidental? Um, yeah, actually, believe it or not, I mean, obviously, there, there's some of it was opportunities presenting and, and taking advantage of that opportunity, but it was very much intentional. Like, I, it was clear, especially, again, all of this not having a framework of, of an, like, organizational understanding of the role of HR, right, coming in. Uh, and so my lens was employee engagement. But as I progressed my career in employee engagement, I started seeing these other departments like, oh, what is an uh, HR business partner? What do, what do they do? Right? Oh, um, ER, what is that? Oh, you know, compensation, people analytics. And I started seeing that there was a broader network and system of responsibilities and functions. Um, and what I felt like was really cool for me was someone who's kind of entering this space and learning the employee engagement gave me visibility. It was one of those functions that cut across everything, right? Because at the end of the day, I'm, I am the data owner of how people feel about our systems and processes, how people feel about our policies, 
how people feel about their pay, how people feel about their leadership and their management, right? Um, and, and getting into a position where, you know, and this is a while ago where I, I don't think we were as um, data native in like the people work and HR work as we are today. Um, I recognize like, whoa, I actually have unique insights and can be a consultant across all these spaces. And so I leverage right. that um, to learn more about how they operate. And I was I was sought after as uh, as a consultant in that space. And so getting that visibility helped me understand how I needed to grow my career um, because I also knew in kind of some of the things that we talked about about background and just wanting to have impact. Being the data owner was helpful and being the consultant was helpful. But then I started, as I grew, started having opinions about, well, hey, this is, I think this is policy is missing. We should create this policy or, hey, we need to improve this process or um, we need to build this function. Um, but I wasn't, in a, I wasn't in a capacity to do that. And so I, I knew that at some point I wanted to lead a people function. Uh, and I needed to kind of build the skill sets and the understanding to do that. And so that's really what drove my career. Um, I also, there was just cultural components too. Uh, PG&E was a wonderful organization. I really actually appreciate that's where I started my career because it grounded me in uh, like a deep understanding of like system, process, structure, rigor, risk management, right? Those types of things, that's the kind of organization it, it was. Um, but this, my spirit was creative spaces, uh, you know, qualitative spaces where people are able to work and lean into um, into like their full selves. And so, uh, you know, from there I went to Electronic Arch, which is a gaming company. Uh, and what was important for me for that move was I was going from like a principal employee engagement person, which was very specific to engagement survey data and analytics, to this conversation at that time, which was relatively new of people experience, right? So it was like a broader perspective and, and for me was more action oriented, right? It was like the, the, the next evolution of employee engagement to how does engagement data reflect in the programs and activities that we're doing and the experience we're creating. Um, and it was a gaming company and I was a gamer, I grew up a gamer. Sure, you know, yeah, you gotta, you gotta love that, right? Mario 3 was my jam. Yeah, like so I thought that was awesome, right? And I started really being in the engagement work, you get associated with culture. You have a lens into culture. And so I was fascinated to see, okay, I'm going from, you know, PGE, which is a utility, you know, highly operationalized, it needs and requires a command and control environment because you know, people can literally die doing their job if it, if we're not um, managing that effectively to this fully creative space, right? And I was just fascinated. I wanted to see how culture impacted the employee experience and the work that the people team does. And so uh, that was fascinating to me, being able to manage the employee engagement data, but then also building out programs around rewards and recognition, doing a culture audit, organizational effectiveness, team effectiveness, uh, really started grounding me into and moving me into spaces where I was able to leverage the engagement data, but then build practices, functions, processes that that were able to affect change around that data. Can you give me an example, Maurice, about um, something that you've done in your career that uh, that really leveraged data 
to, to help support some level of change within the organization? Because something concrete would be really helpful to help others. Yeah, so, um, so when I joined Electronic Arts, um, we had our engagement survey. I think that was, it was the Team Health Survey. Um, and one of the things we noticed, especially at the organization at that time, was about 12 to 12 to 15,000 employees, right? So there was this, actually, no, I'm sorry. It was like eight to 12,000 employees. Over the time there, obviously we grew. Um, but I think as you start to look into deeper into data, you start recognizing, especially as an organization gets bigger, is these constructs, these ideas that we're trying to measure against, um, they take, they're, they're, they're dynamic. And it depends on how you cut the data to understand really how you move the needle on it, right? You can't just assume that the aggregate top line data point uh, is where you're gonna get the most meaningful action. But once you start filtering, once you start looking at correlations on data, you start to really see, oh, this is actually more of a thing specific to this area. Anyway, I say all that to say, uh, one of the things that we did in my time there was start to do a, um, a deeper kind of correlative analysis on where we're seeing differentiation in data points. And one of the things that we saw was engagement as like a top line dimension, outcome kind of metric that we were trying to navigate looked different when people were associating how they felt engaged with the company, Electronic Arts, versus their local team or, you know, in the gaming world, you have studios, right? Where uh, the studio was kind of creating the game itself, right? And if you think about that kind of creative talent, there's so much cultural components to the identity that someone has with their studio or their team or their pod. Um, and so one of the things we started doing was actually breaking that out and saying, hey, this is how people are actually feeling and thinking about how they are engaged with the company, uh, Electronic Arts at large, and that brand and that value proposition versus this is how they're thinking about their, their engagement with the team. And once we did that and started doing the correlative analysis against those things separately, we were able to recognize that the types of actions to make improvement were very, very different, right? At the company level, it was things more around systems, processes, right? Policy, uh, you know, leadership communication, you know, things that were more, um, you could affect more change around from a leadership level. From the team or department studio, it was more around um, recognition and rewards and like, um, team dynamics, right? And processes and practices within the team. And so that was one of the things that was like an aha moment for me, but also where I started to be able to really lean in and, and, and provide deeper guidance is you gotta, you gotta understand the point of view and perspective and it shifts. A lot of times companies will just measure, heck, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to work at this company for X amount of years, right? But if you switch that question to say, I'm happy to work on this team, right? You're going to get an actually fundamentally different question, uh, uh, result. And so um, that was some of that work. Yeah, that's, that's beautifully said. And it, it wouldn't just happen at Electronic Arts. I mean, we can take this model and we can utilize it in any corporation uh, in the U.S. Or, or globally. Because really what you're saying is when you look at the data, you've got to get under the hood a little bit. Don't just stop at the first pass of 
here's here's what the engagement survey says or here's where the data says we should move the needle you got to get into the teams the regions the local feel of how an organization feels at the local level because that's where we all go to work and those are the people we play with every day right in the sandbox and and, and again the, the the connection is i think there was a lot of time where engagement was about this felt like this specific data point that then we had to react to where I think the idea of employee experience is actually no, start from the employee's perspective, right? What are they experiencing in their day-to-day -day life? And organizations should think, start from the employee experience to say, hey, what are, who owns what type of spaces where we need to make improvement, right? What are the things that the senior leader team owns? What's the things that a manager owns? Because they're shaping that experience, right? And making sure that you're designing your survey in a way to get the right data to the right person who can take the right action. Yeah, well, well said. Uh, I was uh, on a call the other week um, with a leader in talent who has 60 international locations and 40 in the U.S. And they said to me, look, we've got a major shift happening in the world. We've got folks in Minnesota that never had opportunities outside of Minnesota before. And we were able to keep our people in Minnesota and pay them Minnesota wages. And now we've got companies from San Francisco and LA and New York and Mexico City and London calling on my folks in Minnesota and their engagement is, is lacking the whole thing has changed because now you can give a London uh, salary or a California salary to somebody in Minnesota and they're going to say, my goodness gracious, that's that's a big lift for me. Um, and uh, the whole world of engagement, comp, benefits, it's all changed in the last couple of years. And we've got to keep a keen eye on the data, which was your point, and then really getting under the hood on the data to, to really maintain and retain our greatest assets, which are people. And the reality is it has changed and it is continuing to change, if not accelerating, given all the things that are happening now with remote work. Yeah, agreed. So let, let's touch on that. So you're you're at Lattice. Um, tell us a little bit about um, that organization. And then I want to hear from you what you're doing in terms of remote work and, and how you're managing that. But let's start with Lattice. Yeah. So so been with Lattice, actually, uh, today is my one year anniversary. Uh, so I joined uh June 28th of 2021, uh, and it has been an amazing journey uh, over this first year. Um, you know, I, I came in, the reasons why, again, this idea of like intentionality around my career, prior to Lattice, I was actually, I, I reached what I thought to be kind of my career milestone was running head of a people, full, full scope people team um, at Off The Grid. Uh, and um, Fascinating. I was brought into off the grid because they said, hey, we want a culture person. So we want a, someone who's a leader in designing, creating amazing cultures. And uh, I had good experience around that work and was excited for that opportunity. Uh, once I joined and I was actually at the helm, so to speak, of a people team for an organization at that time was about 150, 175. And we grew to about 450 before the pandemic. Um, once I was in that position, uh, I, I had a real reality check of, hey, culture, engagement, all good, all that sexy stuff is amazing, but if your operations aren't nice and tight, uh, you are in a heap of trouble. And, yeah. uh, and so through that journey of growing the organization and having to retract it as a result of, uh, of the pandemic, 
I, I learned a ton, trial by fire. Some of those things, like going through a layoffs, multiple layoffs, and having to lead that that work, and um, uh, some of that stuff you can't get you can't get a degree for. You gotta gotta just live it. So when I when I was ending my career there, uh, I recognized that I needed to round out my experience and really lean in on uh, the people operations side of the house. And so Lattice presented itself as an opportunity. Uh, it was really fascinating to be able to be a part. In, in, in terms of like how I've thought about the cultures and industries I'm in, working in HR for an HR product was fascinating to me, and I wanted to see how that represented itself in the community of employees. Um, and uh, and uh, I haven't been disappointed. They have a very grounded, low ego, high empathy organization, um, uh, high trust. People understand the intentions and the, and the whys behind the work we do on the people side. Um, and uh, so that's been awesome. We've grown tremendously over the last year. A lot of my work has been focused on navigating the pandemic and the, the kind of the uh, residual impacts of that in terms of having a remote strategy. Um, we were growing like crazy, so I've done a lot of work around uh, revamping our onboarding program. Uh, to make sure that we're creating some more consistency in the employee experience and how we're bringing people into the organization. Um, uh, and a lot of work around our comp design and philosophy to make sure that we're still competitive and rewarding people fairly. Um, and uh, and then, you know, in the world of, of operations, like catching every other thing that happens to pop up on the day-to-day -day <laughs> and, and navigating that, and you know, the whole analogy of uh, building the plane while you're trying to fly it and, 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 and navigating that work. It's not easy to do. The operations piece, we, you know, it's one simple word, uh, but there is so much detail and systems and technology and integration that goes uh, underneath that word. And you're making like daily decisions around, am I going to build this for scalability, or do I just need to get this thing done today? And like <laughs> just being comfortable with that, of like making those trade-offs of like, hey, this just needs to get done. And no, we're gonna pause and slow down a little bit and build something that's gonna have to last. Um, yeah, that's that's been the adventure for sure. Well, let, let me congratulate you on your one-year anniversary as we're recording today, uh, as you said, on June 28th. So congratulations. Uh, one year, you're celebrating it on the Talent Empowerment Podcast. We're going to have to send you a cake or something. There we go. We're, we're on the hook. <laughs> I, I can feel it. I, I own this now. Um, but, but let's go to remote work for just a second, because I think that's um, on the sort of tip of everybody's tongue. We're trying to figure it out. We know that it's a changing landscape, but what's your take on remote work? Is um, I imagine it's here to stay, but what are you, what are you doing about it that, that makes it more effective than perhaps uh, models we've used in the past? Yeah, that's a great question. It's been a journey, and I think we've embraced the reality that it's a journey, it's not a destination. Uh, I don't think we've got the thing fully figured out yet, uh, by no means, nor do I think anybody does, nor do I think the dust has fully settled in terms of like true normal state around remote working um, at large. Uh, you know, we, I think, found ourselves in that same place that I think a lot of companies were around trying to anchor ourselves to a date, right? All right, we're all going to come back on this date and everything's going to be back to normal and we'll be fine, right? And we did that a few times. And this most recently, actually at the beginning of this year, we had a date, right? It's like March 1st. Okay, March 1st, we're going to be a little settled. At that point, 
in the iterations, we knew that there was going to be some more hybrid approach. Um, but you know, as the, the day came closer, because of leadership team, you know, one of our, our company values is clear eyes, and it's about just being open and honest, and like looking ourselves in the mirror and, and calling it for what it is, and and, and being real. Um, and I think we had a clear-eyed conversation around like, what's actually changing March first? Like, what do we what do we actually say is going to happen March first? And I think in that conversation, you know, we're able to realize that we're already living this thing. Like, it's clear that folks have been working remote. It was required, and then we kind of created some optionality into it. We've clearly started recruiting and hiring remote because we have to, and everyone's doing it, and we need to be competitive there. Um, you know, and it's happening. So, like, let's not let's not anchor ourselves to this idea that we need to change the world, so to speak, on this specific day. Let's actually just recognize what what it looks like right now. Name the things that are working well, and own the things that we need to improve and address, and just make those make those adjustments, right? But it was very much more um, approach of calibration as opposed to like a reset or a shift. Um, and so. That's what we did. And the beginning of the year, we called it, we, we actually, all the things. We are remote first hybrid. That is our, <laughs> that is our strategy, right? We got a little bit of everything for everyone. So uh, if you are looking for a remote first experience, we're here for that. And we try to do some work around, uh, you know, we've built out an approach that's really focused on community building, flexibility, um, and, and kind of support. Those are like the areas that we try to apply to both the remote first experience as well as the hybrid experience, um, and very much about the experience. I think that's where we are right now. Uh, there's the mechanics and the policies. Yes, those are getting flushed out. I think we're also learning and paying attention to what's happening more at the state level around uh, employment law practices and policies, and we're, we're being keen to those. Uh, but the things that feel more fully in our control are the experiences that we create. And so. How are we supporting people that are working remotely, uh, both with benefits and offerings and opportunities um, to where they feel like it's meaningful work? Uh, how are we building connection, both in person and virtually and across? Um, you know, and, and how are we providing support for some of the mental health needs, uh, socio-emotional needs that are happening for someone that's working remote? And we're learning all these things, but we're, I guess my point is, we're being intentional about looking at it, understanding it, collecting the insights from our people, and then responding uh, timely. Yeah, well, well said. And how do you how do you maintain performance? How do you maintain well-being when when people aren't coming in the office and you can't physically see them? These are all big business challenges that we have to sort through um, and and really make it effective so that our cultures. Um, you know, when you can't just walk around the office and say hello, we've still got to figure out how to do that in a virtual environment to support the employee experience, as you said, because that's how you retain people is they, they love working here. They, they want to, they want to come to work at, at their home office. Right. And, uh, and they want to feel some connection and trust, uh, with the other folks that they work with, even though they're not in person, um, which is, which is so critically important. The one point I'll say on that that I think you highlighted here is I think a lot of people potentially, a lot of organizations potentially spend time trying to create culture and they're thinking about how do we create a remote first hybrid culture. Um, but I, 
I think there's something about that that is not exactly it. it you can't, you can manifest and like foster culture, but it's happening. Culture is happening every day. And I think the reality of it is we've been living in this environment now for the last two plus years, like culture has been created. It's there and it's more the duty of the organization to understand it, recognize it and be intentional about where they want to reinforce it, reinforce that culture versus where uh, they want to try to make some incremental shifts. Yeah, well, well said. And and as we uh, we've talked about some pretty heavy topics today. I mean, we've gone through the the intentionality of of moving companies and the intentionality of leadership strategy, being able to shift strategies on the go. Um, I love the phrase being clear eyed and having clear eyed conversations internally. I think that's something that that we can all adopt and use. Um, in terms of our language as we talk to each other in leadership teams. And, and I think all of this is grounded in that sort of advocacy that you have for culture and community and people, um, which, which is so beautiful. Um, and, uh, and, and you've done it so elegantly across your career. But I can't leave this conversation after all of this good stuff without knowing a little bit about your gospel choir experience <laughs> and if you're still singing. Uh, I, I, I hate to disappoint some of the folks that might be inspired by that. I, I'm not a gospel choir person. I'm not. I, I embraced the, the opportunity to. But so, so basically the way that happened was it was senior year of college. I basically wrapped up my uh, my degree requirements and I had a couple quarters where uh, I just needed credits. And so I was like, all right, well, let me, let me use this opportunity to, to check out some different things. I've always um, appreciated and, and uh, admired uh, particularly gospel music. I'm, I'm not a super religious person, like spiritual for sure, but not super religious. But there's something about gospel music where it kind of that, that um, it just brings that life into you and you can kind of feel the spirit. Right. Uh, and so that that's always uh, been something that's fascinating to me and, and I had credits and the class was available and I said, all right, well, let me, let me see what this is about. What am I going to go for an hour, uh, you know, a couple of days a week and sing and, and learn some gospel music? Why not? Uh, yeah. so that happened. And then there was actually a, uh, uh, Envision Vocals was like a, a smaller subset group, uh, that came together and, uh, I had some good friends on that. And so I said, well, yeah, I'll do that. I'm having fun with this. Uh, and so I, it was very much an in-the-moment college experience. Oh, by the way, I was also taking a yoga class. I took a drama class. I took a class on the art of listening, which was <laughs> which was fascinating. Yeah, so that's kind of how that came together. <laughs> so I still listen. I don't sing unless you, you might catch me here and there in the shower if, if, if you're so lucky. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair enough. I, I just had to get the story out of you because... It's on the LinkedIn profile, and uh, if you if you want to catch Maurice uh, and you want to catch more of him or connect with him or or uh, just listen to some of the things he's doing, um, how could we get a hold of you, Maurice? Best avenues is is probably LinkedIn. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I, I talked a little bit about my uh, kind of self brand and, and the challenges around that. I'm not I'm not the best at it. I'm not an active LinkedIn person, but I check my messages so. Uh, if there's anything that inspired you on this call that uh, you're interested in connecting on and having a conversation around, and uh, I'm here for it, shoot me a shoot me a message and send me a, a connection on LinkedIn, and and we'll talk. Awesome, Maurice. Well, thank you for being on the Talent Empowerment Podcast. It's been great to have you on. 
This was fun. Thank you for having me, Tom. Well, I hope this conversation has lifted you up so you can lift up your teams and your organizations. We'll see you on the next episode of Talent Empowerment. And in the meantime, let's get back to people and culture together. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Talent Empowerment. For more information on our show and today's guests, head to the show notes or visit talentempowerment.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening so you never miss an opportunity to empower yourself and your people. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps the show grow. And a final thank you to our sponsor, LegUp, and their people development program, Talent Insurance. To learn more about how they guarantee retention, employee well-being, and employee performance through one-on-one professional coaching, visit legup.com. That's L-E-G-G-U-P dot com.